What are you really sure about in your life? It's a good question to ask, and it's a good question to ask others. You know, as we look at the news today and we look at our world, there's been shootings, there's been bombings, there's been a lot of sad stuff going on. But you know what? There is something that is sure, and what is sure is God's Word, because God's Word originates from God Himself. All Scripture is inspired by God. It becomes the measuring rod. It's what we really bank our lives on. It's what we stand upon. And Peter is going to defend it, tell us about the origin of it, and tell us how sure it is. And it will give us strength and courage to move forward in our lives no matter what happens in this crazy world. We'll look at that more in 2 Peter 1 on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. In 2 Peter 1, uh, 13 through 21, especially verses 16 through 21, Peter goes back to a moment that he had as he was with the Lord during the latter part of Jesus's earthly ministry. And Jesus had been telling the, the disciples, he had been hinting at the fact that he was going to pay the price on the cross. And he took them up to an area called Caesarea Philippi, which is in the northern part of Israel at the base of Mount Hermon. There's some wonderful streams in that area. The water comes down off of Mount Hermon, and it's a beautiful area. And uh, he took them up there, and he began to ask them the question, who do people say that I am? And you guys remember there were different responses to that question. And then he turned the question, and he made it very personal. And he said, who do you say that I am? And every person that lives and dies on this planet has to face that question, who do you say that Jesus is? You can say, well, my friend or my pastor or my cousin or my uncle or my grandfather says this about Jesus, but who do you say he is? And Peter, in Matthew 16, as we pick up the account, Matthew 16, verse 17, um, he, gives, he gives this great uh, affirmation or confession uh, 16, 16 of Matthew, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Matthew 16, 17, because flesh and blood, that's just another way of saying humanity, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, Peter got a revelation from heaven. Tonight, we're going to talk about the sureness of Scripture. What is its origin? What is its source? And the source of Scripture is heaven. Scripture is from God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. The reason it is so profitable, the reason it is so sharp, the reason it is so good, the reason that it's such full of so much light, the reason that it penetrates so deeply, the reason that it can comfort so profoundly is because its source is God. So I've never thought of it this way, but it's just an interesting connection to make. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter, but my Father who's in heaven. Scripture comes from heaven. It comes from God. It comes from the triune God. We're going to see in 2 Peter, literally it comes as directed or superintended by the Holy Spirit. But Peter makes this revelation and then Jesus begins to talk about his church. He says, I say to you that you are Peter, 18, 
And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail or shall not overpower it. The church will stand the test of time, and it's been about 2,000 years since this was said by Jesus. And the church has not uh, given in to the, actually the gates are really defensive. So it's been able to rush the gates of Hades and the gates of Hades have not prevailed, have not stopped the church because the church's foundation is not man, but God. And the Bible's origin is not man, but God. The Bible comes from God. Now, some of you may be asking the question, but how? Because it seems to be written by man because you have the book of Matthew or you have 1 Peter or you have 2 Peter. Tonight, we're going to answer that question. How does inspiration work? What is this term inspiration that we use? How can it be God's word yet authored by men? We'll tackle some of those questions. But the reason that the church has stood the test of time and really rushed the gates of Hades is because there's no other foundation that could be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the church. He is the foundation, the head of the church. We are his body. Now, after this, Jesus exhorts and he tells them, they need to follow him, and he says, it's going to cost you a lot. I'm summarizing the verses to get to where we need to be tonight. In verse 27, he says, The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of, the, some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they See the, king, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Pastor Michael needs reading glasses. I, I, I'm fighting it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to wear them at the pulpit. Confession. But I'm, I'm coming closer and closer. But anyway, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. And I thank you all. For those of you who reached out with your readers, thank you. My wife's been doing that for me. And it's, it's a blessing. I, I'm, I'm almost to the point where I'm willing to do it publicly, but anyway. So he took with him Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of the twelve, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. By the time this rolls around, by the way, Moses has been dead about 1,500 years. But God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And just because you die physically, it doesn't mean your life is over. I was listening to Greg Laurie, and he was talking with uh, the lead singer of Mercy Me. And they've both lost uh, loved ones. Greg lost his son in that car accident on the 91. And uh, the head singer, the lead singer of Mercy Me grew up in a home where his dad was abusive. And then, as I understand the story, his dad ended up having a conversion and coming to Christ. And uh, I think his first name is Bart, uh, who's the lead singer of Mercy Me, has written a book about his dad's story and that conversion and all of that. And he said, Greg, you said something, and I don't know if it came from you, but it's something that stuck with me. He said, I've shared it with more people than I could tell you. And it's this, when you lose a loved one in Christ, there's more time ahead for you to spend with them than what's behind you. That's a pretty awesome thought, isn't it? Because eternity 
is a long time. And the millennial, millennial reign of Jesus Christ is a thousand years. And that's just the beginning. There's more time ahead than there is behind us. And so here's Moses and Elijah. They appear, appear on the mountain. They're very much alive. They were talking with Jesus. And Luke tells us they were talking about his departure. By the way, the transfiguration is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not in John, but in all three of the synoptic gospels, as they're called. And they were talking. And Peter answered and said, to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. How did Peter know it was Moses and Elijah? Because I think this is a foretaste of the kingdom and we will know then, even as we are known, without the need for mixer name tags. Praise the Lord. I do not believe they had mixer name tags on. Hello, my name is Moses. Hello, my name is Elijah. I think when we get to heaven, we will know even as we are known. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, that, tells us that. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know even as I am known. This is the beauty of what's ahead of us. We will know people on a much deeper level. Some people are concerned. Will I know my grandpa, my grandma, my friend, even my spouse on the other side? The answer is yes, probably more deeply than you ever did before. And I think that's awesome news for all of us. And so it says, while he was still speaking, verse five, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. You see, what had happened is Moses, who represents the law, Elijah, who represents the prophets, began to depart one of the Gospels says they began to move away. And I don't know if we'll get to see this in the media room of heaven one day, how they were moving away and what it looked like. But they were departing because the law and the prophets go into the background because the law and the prophets speak of who? Of Jesus Christ. They all point to him and he was left there alone. You see, Scripture the law, the prophets, the Psalms, all point to the coming Messiah. Jesus said, you, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but these are, the, these are they that testify of me. Yet you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life, John 5, 39. See, life is not found in the Bible. Life is found in the son of the Bible. You, you can read the Bible and not be saved. You must be born again. By virtue of reading God's word, of course, many, many people are born again, but you have to have an experience where you're spiritually born again. And so this is the scene to which Peter will appeal in 2 Peter as he talks about the divine source of Scripture. But I want to take you to one more, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to set this up. John 21. So Jesus is risen from the dead, and you all know that Peter had his bumble where he denied the Lord three times. Jesus had told him it was going to happen. Peter was overconfident. 
He was sleeping when he should have been praying. He was tired. They were weary. And John 21 tells us about Hey, folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com, and we put up a store, and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money, and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on the armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy, and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you, and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. Jesus had told him it was going to happen. Peter was overconfident. He was sleeping when he should have been praying. He was tired. They were weary. And John 21 tells us about Peter's you could call it recommissioning. They're uh, at the seashore, John 21. And uh, this is the account of, I think it's the third post-resurrection appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is John 21, 14. Now, the third, this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples, 21, 14 of John, after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And of course, Peter denied the Lord three times around a similar firelight. He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now keep reading. Truly I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, by the way, this means Peter knew that he would grow old. Peter had a word from the Lord. Do you know when Herod threw Peter in prison and he was supposed to die the next day? Peter slept like a baby. It's recorded in the book of Acts. Do you know why Peter slept like a baby? Because he knew he wasn't going to die. Jesus said he was going to grow old. And I was reading one commentary that believes that Peter is in his 70s at this point. Peter knew that he would grow old. And Jesus made a prophecy. He said, you're going to grow old and you will stretch out your hands, middle of 18, and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. For the rest of Peter's life, let's say that Peter had another 40 years to live. I don't know exactly how much time he had. We do know Peter died around 68 or a little bit, somewhere in there uh, under the hands of uh, Caesar Nero. He spent the rest of his life not forgetting this moment. Three times the Lord said to Peter, take care of my people. Shepherd my sheep. 
Tend my flock. Now, as you turn over to 2 Peter, this is exactly what Peter is doing. He is shepherding God's sheep. What's the main job of a shepherd? Well, Peter had three, three and a half years with the good shepherd, so he learned quite a bit about what it means to be a good shepherd. And one of Jesus' primary modes of shepherding was teaching. Jesus was the master teacher. Jesus also touched people. He healed people. He loved people. He exhorted. He did all of those things. But his primary thing, if you go, go back and read the Gospels, you'll see over and over it will say, and Jesus taught them there. And he taught this and he taught that. So Peter has become a shepherd. And he says these words in one more, 1 Peter 5, before we get to the actual text. 1 Peter 5, 1. Therefore, 1 Peter 5, 1, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. 1 Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now keep going to your right to 2 Peter 1. When Peter writes 2 Peter, do you remember what the main occasion is, the emphasis of the writing? What's he trying to accomplish? Protect the church against what? False teaching. He's being a shepherd because a shepherd feeds the flock, protects the flock from wolves in sheep's clothing. And a pastor's main job, it's not the only job he has, but one of his main jobs is to protect, equip the, the sheep and protect them by virtue of teaching the truth. To strengthen them, to bring them closer to the chief shepherd. And so Peter says in 2 Peter 1.13, as we pick up from last time, and I consider it right, or the word could be righteous. As long as I am in this earthly tent or dwelling, the, the Greek word is skenoma. It's literally a tabernacle, a temporary tent or a tent of a nomad to stir, up, stir you up by way of reminder. Peter says, as long as I'm in the tent, I'm in the reminding business, and Peter's now probably in his 70s. And I've watched some pastors like Dr. Charles Stanley, for example, and others we can think of who, I don't know, is Charles Stanley almost 90 now? That guy has been preaching the word for a long time. And sometimes I honestly look in the mirror and say, I wonder how long I'm going to do this. I have been doing this for 20 years. It's almost hard to imagine. Some of you should be shaking your head. No, Pastor Michael, it can't be. You look like you're 30. You guys should be saying that right now. And you think, you know, Lord, how long am I supposed to teach your word? And the answer is, you are to be faithful until I tell you otherwise. Follow me. Not only will I make you a fisher of men, Peter was told early in Jesus's uh, ministry, but I will make you a shepherd of sheep. I will make you a fisher of men. I will make you a shepherd of sheep. That's the call of the church. We fish for men and women that they might get saved and then we shepherd them. And we try to take care of them to keep them from falling into sin. Here's the two primary 
issues with sheep once you get saved. There's always the danger of falling back into sin, and there's always the danger of falling into false teaching. The job of a shepherd is to help sheep not fall back into sin and not fall into false teaching. And so we are in the reminding business. And Peter says, as long as I'm in this tent, and this tent's gotten a little older now, Peter might say, I'm not as strong as I used to be. But until I leave the tent and go to be with the Lord, I'm going to continue to remind you, even though, as he said earlier, I know you know these things. Because Peter knew what it was like to fail. Peter knew what it was like to be someone who had confessed Christ, and in the next moment, Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Peter knew what it was like to say, Lord, even though all forsake you, I will never. And the same night, say he didn't even know the Lord three times and begin to call down curses. Peter knew what it was like to be asleep when he should have been awake. And it's interesting that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they were sleeping instead of praying, and Jesus said, my soul is grieved, he took the same three, Peter, James, and John. He went about a stone's throw away from them. He began to be grieved. He began to fall on the ground and ask the Father to let the cup pass from him. And when he went back to the sleeping apostles, he said to Peter, not to John, not to James, to Peter, the author of our letter, couldn't you stay awake for one hour? You said you were going to be so strong, Peter, and you can't even stay awake. This is our humanity. This is our sheepiness. <laughs> we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Can you feel it sometimes? And just when you feel like you have arrived and you got this Christian thing down and you feel like you're pretty well anchored, then it just doesn't take much, right? That's why we need to continually be rooted and grounded in the things of God. Peter says, I'm, I know, knowing that, verse 14, the laying aside of my earthly dwelling, same word here, earthly tent, tabernacle, is imminent. The putting off of my body will be soon ESV. And also, our, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. When did Peter know that he was going to die? Well, he was given the prophecy in John 21 that he was going to die when he was old. And the way that he was going to die, he would stretch out his hands, which many believe is a reference to crucifixion. And I've told you about the tradition that Peter was crucified and that upside down and that's debated whether or not that tradition is correct, but is from one of the early fathers. And so Peter says, I'm getting ready to fold up the tent, just as Jesus has told me. And maybe it was confirmed to Peter when he was praying one night, or maybe the Holy Spirit said, it's, your death is imminent, so get your affairs in order, or finish up the writing, or whatever. And so he, the tent was going to be folded up, and Peter was going to leave. Peter was going to make a departure. Look at verse 15. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, see the word departure there? It's literally the Greek word exodus, but it's spelled E-X-O-D-O-S, exodos. You may be able to call these things to mind. I'm, I'm being diligent. The Lord's told me soon I'll be folding up the tent. And he calls death, 
my what? Departure, my exodus. Now, if you think of this, the word exodus, you recall that when the children of Israel were in Egypt all that time, 400 years, and they were freed by the mighty hand of God, that was called the exodus. We have a book called the book of Exodus. And by the way, Exodus simply means exit or departure. For the Christian, death is not the end. Death is a departure. The only question you got to answer is where are you going? Do you know how if you go to the airport, they have those boards with arrivals and departures? And you look you know, at arrival and departure times on those screens and you try to see if your flight's on time or if you're going to pick up somebody that, you know, it's their, their flight's coming in on time. Arrivals and departures. The only thing you really got to know is where you're going. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. Have I been so long with you that you don't know me? Three and a half years we've been together the night before he dies. John 14, have I been so long with you that you don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I'm the way to my Father's house. Death is a departure. Paul said in Philippians 1, you can write down verses 21 through 23, For me, to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Is gain. How many of you have that verse on your refrigerator? Nobody? <laughs> For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because if death is a departure, if death is an exodus, exodus has the idea of being freed from bondage. Bondage to what? A world cursed, a world filled with sin and death. Now, none of us have a death wish, of course. We all want to see the Lord's face. We all want to end up in heaven, but we're not trying to rush things along. Amen? It's like the pastor who stood at the pulpit and asked the congregation, how many of you want to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand, except this little boy. And he saw the little boy in the hallway, and he said, son, why didn't you raise your hand when I said, do you want to go to heaven? He said, I thought you were taking people now, pastor. I'm I'm not ready to jump on that bus just yet. When Paul describes it, he says to depart and be with Christ is far better. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up it's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession. And we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft. And there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. 
You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.